0: travel
1: is titled baby doll and it's from the album i've got a feeling i've slept here before from the band nothing still and that's the band of my guest today mr patrick lawrence and patrick's a drummer of that band he is a filmmaker who i've uh who i met at film festivals so through the years just going to the different film festivals i think we've had had some projects um in at uh, certain times and have crossed paths but uh, you know I, i've known of patrick uh, we've had you know decent conversations but uh I, I haven't really known him but I feel I know him so much better now and it's just uh, just a great conversation and uh just I really enjoyed it and when he's editing and putting everything together just it really uh just there's a great connection there and one of the things um Patrick had mentioned uh, in the days of college being uh, a little self-conscious about his artwork. And uh just it's about his life and and we all go through that. But when he was on stage with the band, he just, you know, felt you know he was expressing himself and he felt uh this comfort and power and all that. And it's it's pretty amazing. Uh, you know, just just thinking of the self consciousness that we all have. You know, I've been talking to a friend of mine who has authored a, a book and it's an amazing book. He's an unknown author. I work with him, known him for years, good friend, and just amazed by the book. So hopefully He'll put that out there, and it's just amazing as artists when we write something, when we create something, when we uh, whether it be a podcast or you know when when we're writing a movie screenplay or a novel, we're really putting ourselves out there, and it's you know it's hard to know it's wanting to have that acceptance. I know that's a topic that comes up many times with with different people on this podcast. And one of the things I'm trying to bring with this, I mean, in today's day and age, we we have a lot of people on YouTube, and a lot of times it's very, um, I wouldn't say selfish, but really self-centered. There's a lot of narcissism, me, me, me. We're seeing that right now in politics and just, you know, in other other areas of the world. So it's nice to, I don't know, have it be more about us. Or, you know, what I'd like to do with this podcast is just promote and, and help bring others up uh, hopefully I'm introducing, you know, people's art and, you know, bringing some cool things to the world. So it's not just about me, but, uh, you know, I'm a part of it. I enjoy the conversation and that that really gets me stoked and gives me a rush. So it's it's nice to be able to put that out there. So yeah, Patrick Lawrence is just an amazing filmmaker. So he's directed a number of music videos and it's really cool. It's a Definitely more than myself, but uh, I mean, really proud of the dude and what he's done. Uh, Incredible, incredible artist, and it's been it was a fun conversation. As always, want to thank the sponsors for helping me bring this to you, Dr. Mark Holland. You can find uh, Dr. Mark Holland on the links. Check out the show page. There's always cool links. I'll have links to uh, to Patrick's music, to playlist of the band Nothing Still. Um, You know, have a few links. uh, You know, I'll have a link to his website. Uh, you know it's good I, I try to put it in there it's very hopefully interactive hopefully you'll jump on board and you know have have a little bit of a conversation let uh let the bands know um if if you like their work let Dr. Holland know if you're if you've been a patient of his you know what's what's good about his work uh he's an energetic guy um he's focused on on helping people so you know right now he's you know he's building up his business and he has some great colleagues that he's working with and I've always, it's, it's always been great. You know, the his office have always been comfortable to me. And I, I find it very helpful. My neck is a little tight right now. And uh, my back, I've been sitting a lot, editing, putting the podcast together, emails, social media, all that. Looking down at my phone too much. So I definitely need to get an adjustment and take care of, of my spinal health. Because when I do so, I, I feel so much better. So got to get back into the yoga as well and uh going to give a quick little shout out to uh Yoga Buzz. So if you uh if you're in the St. Louis area, check out a Yoga Buzz event. I think I'll make them an unofficial sponsor here, but have volunteered a lot with the group and just you know really love what uh what they're doing in the community. Uh different programs, scholarships to you know help um you know help give give people the opportunity to teach. And a lot of the people that are teaching are going into communities that are um, that that just unknown. Yoga is unknown to them, so they're going into communities of less fortunate people, uh, lower income, and you know helping them learn to breathe, helping them to move their bodies. It's just an amazing organization. Uh, also, want to thank uh, my buddy Stephen Walden, artist extraordinaire. StephenWalden dot com is his website, and he is uh, he is one to. A lot of charitable contributions. So check out his artwork and just know that he is doing a lot in the community. I think he's raised definitely over 100000 maybe over 200000 thus far in, in uh, his four-year art career. So amazing story of that guy. You know, check out the podcast. He's been on many times, Stephen Walden, in his uh, individual episode, the episode of the artist panel with some uh, amazing artists as well as I think he was on the St. Louis blues panel, the St. Louis Cardinals topic of discussion. Uh, you know, I try to offer that all to you and, and you can find uh, more on my website, dot com. Check me out. Social media, Twitter at Ken Instagram, Ken Um, You yeah, know, check out some of those images, check out uh, some of the videos I put together. Uh, fortunate and blessed to have an Emmy nomination for the, my card, my way campaign for the, st louis county library so fingers crossed on that one there's some you know the the people that we're up against have just amazing work in their own right uh well-established production companies who, I, who i've done a lot of work with in in one capacity or another so it's very cool it's very cool to have a seat at the table and really to spotlight the amazing people that we have uh, done so with the library you know nicholas uh, amazing kid uh, matt hodell who's been on the podcast um Tucker Hegel. I hope I pronounced Tucker's name right. i don't have to ask him. I uh yeah. uh-oh. Got to do my research before I uh sit down here in front of the microphone. Uh you know y- Yvonne and her son Chris and uh Jen and Rachel. So great stories. I think I uh, covered everybody. Depu and his family. So check out uh check me out on Facebook. Check out my website. I have some of that there. I need to post post some of those go to library youtube st louis public library and check out some of these great pieces there and give them some love so that's a little bit about me thank you uh as always for tuning in really enjoyed this conversation really enjoyed getting to know patrick better and hopefully one day we'll have the opportunity to collaborate with him on a project just just an amazing dude i'm really inspired i was really inspired after putting this together and listening through so here he is on conversations with Calcutta, mr patrick lawrence <laughs> Mr. Patrick, how are you, sir? Hey, how's it going,
2: Ken? Thank you for having me. Oh,
1: you're welcome. And I, I tell you what, so at your concert the other night, I've never seen you play, and you are a beast on drums. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> it's just you never tell. Some people are like the jazz kind of guys in mm-hmm. the pocket. You were When I'm watching you, I'm thinking like Dave Grohl on those days, just like this, these big movements and just really powerful. It was cool.
2: Right. The The phrase that our old manager used to have was caveman drummer. And I think <laughs> that a lot of that came from... Uh, my love of Tommy Lee.
1: Oh yeah,
2: and I think you know, I of my favorite drummers of all time, you know John Bonham, yeah. Peter Chris, mm-hmm. Tommy Lee. Um, I just started kind of like emulating little pieces from all of them, and then working in my own thing because because the the band I'm in, Nothing Still, we originated from. Uh, a love of 80s new wave music and trying to find a way to bring that into the early 2000s. (laughs) Okay. So it was at a time when pop punk was really popular and there had been a few other... You know, in the 90s there were bands like Nine Inch Nails. uh, One of my favorites was Orgy. And we were trying to kind of emulate that. And... Uh, finding our own sound. And there were a couple bands here in St. Louis that were doing it called Dice Symphony and Full System Purge. And
1: yeah, I like that. is one that I saw a few shows. Yeah, there. they had a cool sound.
2: Dice Symphony was a huge influence for mm. us. They were like, they were what we wanted to be in St. Louis. And uh, I'm getting way off base now, but <laughs> so I'm sure you can edit this any way you want. But uh, we. Uh, for me, I went to a Dice Symphony show in uh May of two thousand one and the opening band was this band from Chicago called Kill Hannah.
1: I'm familiar with yeah, I'm familiar yeah. with that band as well, yeah. Yeah,
2: and they had already been around for I think since nineteen ninety five but in different iterations. And so the the way they were at that time, two thousand one, I'd never seen anything like it. And I was there to see Dice Symphony and I was just blown away by this band. And that's when I knew, I was like, that's that's the band I want to have. That's the band I want to be in. And so it took us a long time to figure that out. But uh, we, you know, started trying to find the right pieces and mm-hmm. different members and then trying to find a sound. And then we thought we had a sound, and then we started working with a producer. Who really helps kind of like sculpt that into something that was a little bit more radio friendly. And that's when we started to get attention by like having songs on the point here in St. Louis and starting to get bigger crowds and playing Mississippi Nights. And I think what I always tell people when I'm in Los Angeles and people are asking me, like, oh, you used to be in a band? Like, what band were you in? I was like, well, we weren't ever huge, but the best way I could put it is we were the killers before the killers. And the best story I have about that was we were doing a radio interview, I think at Lewis and Clark College in Godfrey, Illinois. And the Killers, somebody told me, had just came out. And so we were sitting there on the radio and, you know, we're all talking. And they were kind of asking us, like, you know, what songs do you, you guys want us to play in between the interview or whatever? And they're like, have you heard this new song by the Killers? <laughs> 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 and we were, like, we were like, oh, what's that? And they played it. And so then yeah. we were sitting in the radio station hearing the Killers thinking, like, oh, wow, they beat us to it. Yeah. And so after the Killers, it was like, and sometimes
1: um, it's good because some people say, "Hey, we want another band like the Killers." And right,
2: made- right. And, and the kind of the Killers uh, begot the the bravery, and then yeah. they, you know, Kill Hannah had gotten signed to Atlantic Records, and so their album had come out, and then you started getting Panic at the Disco, yeah. and and then your your offshoots of that, which just kind of got worse and worse and worse. But for us, we never found ourselves into that position. So going back to your original question about the the drumming like i was trying to find something that kind of meld that um hair metal kind of drummer that yeah. i loved in yeah. tommy lee and also what i was doing with the dance rock stuff so i'm pay- playing four on the floor like dance hi hats disco hi hats and, like, whipping my hair back and forth <laughs> and and beating the shit out of my drums and using some of the largest crash cymbals anybody had in town. And I was driving the sound guys insane at Mississippi Nights and Pops and the pageant. And um, that's what I was still using the other night, these huge 17, 18-inch crash cymbals just... Push, push.
1: <laughs> it's killer yeah yeah. and so the other night was it was a break from a hiatus mm. I guess because the band never broke up correct yeah
2: so uh, we we found ourselves in this position in 2009 where we had we were on our second manager and he had exposed us to about every label in the country or the world or however you want to put it and the and the music industry was shifting because they didn't know, you know, what they were doing because of streaming. They hadn't figured that out yet. You know, they were trying everything with like digital download cards and like still trying to sell albums in stores and they weren't really buying into these things and they weren't, they weren't into what we were doing. Mm -hmm. And and at this point, we we've been trying for at least five or six years at this point and had been a band for the better part of a decade. And, you know, we sat down and he basically broke it to us and said, I've gone to every record label mm-hmm. and nobody's interested. And it was a heartbreaking moment for yeah, us. Yeah. And we all agreed in that moment that we weren't going to stop until it stopped being fun. So as long as we were continuing new shows and people were coming out and people wanted to see us, that we were going to keep playing. Mm-hmm. And so we did. And um, we had... We had a um, I'm trying to figure out a segue into this, but um, in a lot of ways, I think about the, the history of nothing. Still, is kind of like we had every single rock and roll trope that you could think of happen to a band that you've never heard of. <laughs> um, and you know, we released three albums. We sold out, you know, clubs here in St. Louis. We played the huge sold out crowds. We were on Warp tour. Um, you know, there were drug problems, there are girl stories, um, and probably the 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 nail in the coffin for us, figuratively and literally, was our rhythm guitarist, Matt Kleeman, uh, died in a car accident oh, in fun. winter of 2009. Mm-hmm. And we were on our way to play a... USO offshoot mm-hmm. called Armed Forces Entertainment. And it's 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 kind of like the the B squad of USO. <laughs> so it's like you know we're not we're not yeah. uh, Jennifer Lopez or Ariana Grande, but you know we're we're going in playing. We're not the killers. Yeah, we're not the killers, and we're going to play um, bases around the world. And so uh, they we were getting ready. It's a very it's not a uh, not a sexy place to go, but it was, it was an interesting experience that we didn't want to turn down and we were being sent to Greenland and less than 1% of the world's population has mm-hmm. ever been to Greenland.
1: Greenland is ice and Iceland is green. Right. That's what I've told. <laughs> right. Yeah.
2: And so we were being sent there, uh, on new year's Eve of 2009 to play about a week on the base. And it was going to be 24 hours of darkness and we were all really stoked about it. And, We were about two weeks away when when Matt had his car accident. And we were again forced to sit down at a table and decide how do we move forward with this? And uh, we decided that we were originally a four piece, and Matt was kind of an addition to that. And so we decided, well, we'll just continue on as a four piece because we knew that we could do that. And, you know, we went to Greenland and we did the shows, and it was an incredible life changing experience. And, you know, I wouldn't change that for anything. Um, But when we came back, we tried to continue and make it work. And we were nominated for a Riverfront Times Music Award that year. And we played the showcase and we played the pageant and we played a bunch of really amazing shows in 2010. And then it just started to kind of like fizzle out Mm and, you know, in a very strange, not that we weren't trying, but for a band that was used to playing 25 shows a year locally we just started finding ourselves doing six or seven or something. Yeah,
1: local. and at some point, it's you know you you only do so much locally because then, you know your audience you get just oversaturate right. yourself. Right. And did you know? Did you guys have? I mean, granted, no label support, but were you able to find a booking agent or anything like that? Or Your we, manager was. We had a
2: we not not like a touring booking yeah. agent, but we did have a really good. Um, uh, lifeline of people that helped us out here. Cool. A lot of, a yeah. lot of the, the bookers here in town were incredible to us. Uh, my good friend Bert was one of them. I mean, he got us set up with some of the greatest shows that we've played, including opening up for Ludo for their Christmas show at the pageant. Oh, cool. So playing to a sold out pageant was yep. absolutely just unreal. Um, and so it was because of people like that, that really, you know, took a chance on us and, you know, Led us on some of these really huge gigs with with popular bands at the time. Like we were able to build our fan base even bigger and bigger and bigger. So when we get, so we got to that point in 2010, and it was just kind of starting to, you know, go our separate ways. And I was starting to dabble in film again, mm-hmm. which I was already doing when I went to college in 2002, and then kind of gave up on to do the band full time. So I started doing more of the filmmaking stuff. I started directing music videos. Uh, some of the other guys went and you know had families and uh, pursuing their own things. Our lead singer Emilio formed a—he'll um, probably kill me for saying this—but like an EDM style <laughs> group, <laughs> and he actually is a uh, number one Billboard dance artist now. And uh, that's something that like we are really toting right now is that we have an actual mm-hmm. billboard artist in our band and uh, we're trying to take advantage of that on this next album.
1: Yeah, man, that's, and, and you just got to use those things mm-hmm. and it was, if he enjoys the music and that gives you guys an edge, I mm-hmm. mean, there's a, there's enough, I think possibilities and enough time to do a couple different things and gain that momentum and yeah. then see where it takes you. So I think that's cool.
2: Yeah. We, we ended up, uh, we've, we've done only two shows since 2010, since then um and they were both very gimmicky type of shows. Okay. So there wasn't there wasn't much of like a need to continue. Yeah. But we found ourselves this last or earlier this summer with this proposition to do another to do another show uh and would it be a possibility? And and all of us, you know, we'd had a couple offers in the years leading up to and things just didn't work out. And so we we thought okay, well I think this is the time. And for me, I was kind of finding myself just, you know, a little, little bored in what I was doing filmmaking wise or just kind of like looking for something new to do. So the excitement of playing the drums again and, you know, doing graphic design or building social media fan base for us, you know, off of graphics and, you know, Flash and whatever, yeah, like yeah. all of that, like was really, really exciting to me over the last few weeks. And so we just started kind of like rekindling some ideas and, we, you know, started talking about songs that we had written and that never came out and the possibilities of like what they would be like mm-hmm. in, in the climate of 2008 to yeah. 2018, 2019. And so that's gotten us really excited about the idea of like, well, we need to go back to our original plan, which was to keep doing it as long as it's fun and release these songs that we have that we think are really good and could have potential to have life mm-hmm. here 10 years later. And, um, that's what our focus is for the next year nice. to, to continue, oh, yeah. um, giving back to the fan base that's been so supportive of us and, uh, do one more album that we're all very proud of and that we think is going to be the best album. That and
1: we've then played. see where that goes. And if it, if it gets legs, you're going to carry it on, or is this kind of a farewell type thing?
2: Well, you know, maybe a little bit of both. Okay. Uh, I think that we have, um, uh, we have access to things that we've never had before. In, in 2018, you don't need to have a record label. Mm-hmm. You know, if you do, you're basically giving them all your money and you're in debt to them. Yeah, and what are they doing? And it, right.
1: it, unless somebody's going to do something for you that you can't do I mean, yourself, but, right? Yeah, that model has definitely changed. I, I've seen labels who are essentially for a small percentage giving that support. Mm-hmm. It's like, oh, you can't do this, we can do this. And the artists control their own music and keep their copyrights and all that so it's not buying them out but it's you know they're on some kind of like almost like a management type basis i'm seeing that just here and there being like maybe a new type of model
2: yeah you know if we were gonna put out an album right now i don't even know that there would be a physical copy of it it would just be like all three of our albums that we spent thousand, I mean, we spent nine thousand dollars recording our last album in two thousand eight, and that album is available for free on Spotify. Yeah, it's crazy. You know, we don't make a dime off of that. Yeah. So.
1: And, that's, and that eight thousand included production and everything else. So mm-hmm. your CDs, probably. Your, yeah. No.
2: I, I. Yeah. Probably. Now that you mentioned that, I mean, it's probably a ten thousand dollar total album. Okay. Gotcha. And we make no money off. Of yeah. Yeah. It. So.
1: It's, it's publicity at this point.
2: Right and and so you know in 2018 i think the possibilities of releasing an album recording an album ourselves three out of the four of us have home studios you know recording an album ourselves making it the way that we want to make it and then releasing it self distributing it through iTunes Spotify which all of our albums are already available yeah, on yeah. and And we're not talking about just St. Louis anymore where 10 years ago we were like, well, we don't want to release, we don't, we don't want to re-release the song or play the song on the radio because everybody's already heard it. But you know what? That's not the case anymore because we're talking about if we had a song that was so good in 2006 that could live up to expectations in 2018 and I could play it for people in Los Angeles, it would be a brand new song. They would have no idea.
1: Exactly. And there's so many other places in the world that have not heard that song and it's fresh to somebody.
2: And And because of the, I mean, our audience on Instagram alone, just in the last month or month and a half since we announced our reunion, uh, you know, we've got double the amount of followers on Instagram than we do on Facebook and they're worldwide and they're responding to what we're posting. And so that's something that I want to continue to pursue. And start thinking about this next phase of nothing still as being something globally and not just something locally. Heck yeah. Yeah. Heck
1: yeah. And it and it definitely showed that you guys were having fun. So I, audience, I came out and helped, uh, you know, had a little bit of time, brought a, a couple cameras out and captured some images, which hopefully turned out well. And I'm, <laughs> I'm looking forward to seeing the magic you work with everything. But it was fun for me. To, just to see the energy, to see you play, you know, just this that beast mode. And and uh, Emilio was just, I mean, great front man. Uh, what's your guitarist's name? Anthony. Anthony, he was great as well. Mm-hmm. You know, he was jumping up on the drum riser and just had this, you know, it was just, just like punk style, this really just explosive energy. It was amazing.
2: Yeah. Uh, you know, we all kind of bring in different elements like i meant mentioned for me it was like i was very inspired by new wave and hair metal yeah and and for anthony our lead guitarist he was very much influenced by van halen um zeppelin things like that of that like old school going into 80s metal and then he brought that element into the band emilio on on lead vocals and guitar rhythm guitar uh same thing as me, like we were, we loved Depeche Mode, we loved The Cure, mm-hmm. um, Duran Duran, and those were things that we w- we wanted to have a mysterious side. So he's kind of the, he's kind of the mysterious guy, and then Anthony's kind of the more outgoing one, and then obviously like I'm out- outgoing with, with whole, my whole performance on stage. And then our bass player Tommy actually brought in um an element of funk which was really interesting because he's a very you know hard working blue collar guy but comes from you know sort of a rage against the machine mm-hmm. style love of of playing the bass and just I, I mean he's one of the funkiest bass players I've ever met and when you sit down and talk to him or just met if you met him on the street you'd have no idea he had yeah. him
1: <laughs> yeah he seemed pretty pretty chill you know yeah. he laid back uh You've got into a nice groove and uh right. you know he had good stage presence but you could tell he's he's a little more subdued than everybody else but there's a nice balance. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and when you had everybody else was just you know <laughs> definitely going crazy. It's cool. it
2: it's that mix which is like it it it, it works but like I don't know, doesn't work because we never got signed, I don't know, but like it's just that interesting kind of mix of like rock, hair metal, Mm-hmm. New wave and funk all in one band that uh that we've that we sort of have found some sort of like niche in, but I don't know I don't know how people i guess some people like it,
1: yeah that was <laughs> it was cool man you had a great crowd, thank you, and it was uh yeah i mean i was I was really impressed, so you never know what you're gonna get when you go check something new out. I just know you as a person and just the quality of your work, I knew it was gonna be something interesting, so. That's why I wanted to help out. Yeah. I I always enjoy experiencing new music and just different people's art, so it was cool for me to check it out.
2: Yeah, And, and moving forward as we do a couple more shows over the next year, I think it's just going to continue to expand on creativity. Um, I had a ton of ideas for this one, but I didn't want to just blow it all on the first show and then not have anything for the second
1: one. Just the fact that it's the first show back is a novelty in itself.
2: Right, and the reaction that we've been getting has just been really overwhelming um, and positive. And so so we know that we did some things right with the first show. And so knowing that if we move forward on that and then kind of expand on some of these other Mm -hmm. things... Maybe the visual elements I think' are, are gonna be even cooler because if I had my way, we would have had full led screens and and I would have been spending the last eight weeks like mm-hmm. designing all these video effects and and just like visuals like very like the i I saw in Depeche mode's last tour, <laughs> I was like, I want to do that um so I'm hoping that as we move forward, like you're gonna see more and more of that stuff
1: cool, yeah, I'm sure it's gonna be a killer be yeah sick, man. well, well, you know on a,
2: just on a local level. Um you have to give people a reason to come out to shows. That's what shows are. You can't sit there and be like, "Hey, I want you to come spend $15 mm-hmm. to hear something that you could just listen to on iTunes and, you know, spend $40 on beer and then go home or, you know,
1: mm-hmm.
2: pay $15 for parking and then you're asking so much of people." Yeah. And so and so our our management um, early on in our career taught us that and when we were playing at Mississippi Nights and they were like, every show should be an event
0: oh, of and course. you should yeah, give yeah. people a
2: reason to want to come back out again and again and again. And I'm not going to say we were perfect about that. I think, I think bands like, like Ludo did a really good job of that. They gave their audience a reason to come back again and again and again, and you see it pays off. Um, so, with us we dabbled in that stuff but we knew we were very self-aware of 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 that so we were doing shows where the first 100 people through the door got free t-shirts or we had theme nights um you know where you know if you dressed up you got a free CD or something well, like that yeah. you know we were giving people a reason to, to not mm-hmm. just sit at home and listen to us on MySpace Yeah yeah and now the discussions I've been having with some promoters in town leading up to the show, it kind of seems like there's this backwards trend of like bands just not trying hard enough and not, you know, you know, once the riverfront times called us the hardest working band in St. Louis in 2006. And so we keep that on our shoulder and we think about that. Mm -hmm. And so if we were going to come back in 2018, we knew we had to do it, you know, as hard as possible, but we're battling against things like, the Facebook algorithm and, you know, like I mentioned with Instagram, you know, with your more worldwide audiences and it's harder to kind of focus in on something more locally. And, and and, you know, we're we're four guys in our early 30s, so we're not going to be pounding the pavement sitting on Washington Avenue handing out paper flyers, you know, so we're trying to street team. Yeah, you know. Yeah. <laughs> uh easier said than done. Yeah,
1: and yeah, find people to invest that time in you.
2: No, totally. And so we're every band is kind of like finding their own way and like how they can self promote themselves or like, you know, if so you have a, a huge YouTube or you're, you know, using Snapchat or Facebook or Instagram stories to your advantage. Uh, but there just seems to be this trend of like people are just kind of like, Hey, I'm I'm here, come see me. And then I'm going to play these songs you've already heard and then leave. And so we're not, we're not about that. We wanted to give people a reason to come mm-hmm. back and see. And so, like I said, the response from Saturday night has just been incredible. And we're really, if, if people are that excited about what they saw, I'm hoping they're going to be excited to see what we've got in store coming up.
1: That's great. And that's, it's a good lesson for any band, young or old, just uh, inexperienced it, to know that, yeah, that it is that event and that, that you have to, turn it up a couple Mm -hmm. of notches to stand out because if there's you know there's a lot of bands that pops the other night but Mm -hmm. but why why go see a band i mean that was an event but yeah have that 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 why it's always about that why Mm -hmm. but i noticed one thing you guys brought some of your own lights as well correct
2: Mm -hmm. yeah Yeah.
1: didn't you have some like stand-up leds at Mm-hmm. Yeah, which, which I think added to the experience. I thought that was a part of Pops, and I saw you guys breaking them down and taking them out the door. I was like, wait, they're stealing Pops lights, those sons of bitches. But yeah, then, but then it just it just I I had known that you guys went the extra yard, mm-hmm. and it was like, yeah, that's great.
2: Well, yeah, that's for us. It's always important to know that like what you're seeing mm-hmm. stands out from the, you know because it's there's always a little bit of competition with other yeah. bands, um, and now now the. Because we would always want to, when we were on a bill with bands, we always wanted to be like the standout. Mm -hmm. Every band wants to be the standout. Um, And now we're in this position where like we want to, we want to kind of show the bands what you should be doing. You know, how like this is what you should be giving back to the fans. Mm -hmm. And this is how the fans react when you do these things. And so that's our focus is making sure that we're entertaining the fans and also kind of like handing things down Mm -hmm. to those who are right behind us coming up.
1: And that little touch is something that, that's just a couple of lights, is something that you have Mm -hmm. that no one else did. Yeah. So, I mean, this is something that minimal. Just, you know, a little extra goes a long way. At least least my observation. Right. I don't know if everybody looks at the world as I do, which they... And we're all individual, but yeah, no, to me that stands out. So it's very cool.
2: Yeah. Like I said, it was real close to having like full led video screens Uh, on stage the other night. So I'm kind of glad I didn't go that extra mile. You got to build up to it, man. Wait for the next show.
1: We're going to put this podcast up. People can hear that and know that uh, the next show is going to be something where there's going to be that extra extra little piece and and that's one thing and i and now with the way this technology is with screens there's so much you can do with with video even even just like little basic touches and motion graphics i I took my nephew the other night to the uh to the journey def lefford concert Mm -hmm. and and journey did a great job and it was very just very basic the video that they had but just some nice motion graphics it was their logo that really popped it had great lighting effects And, and it was very simple But it was, it was elegant, you know, it was something that really popped and, and to me, it enhanced the experience. So it just goes to show that even something simple, that's a little extra goes a long way. Mm hmm. So I'm just curious to see what you know. I'm I'm definitely down to see that next show because I want to I want to check out what you put together and, and and just yeah I can only imagine.
2: Thank you. Yeah, and and anybody that's listening, if you're interested, um, you can check it out or keep up with us um, social media. Nothing still at nothing dot still on Instagram and nothing stillcom still dot com.
1: Fantastic. Yeah. So you're planning something in December. Hoping. Yeah. yeah which that's depending the plan. on the people listening to this, they could be in the wrong year. Right, or... right, right.
2: Uh yeah, we're hoping we're hoping to do something kind of around Christmas of cool. twenty
1: eighteen. Nice. Very cool.
2: And then and then with the with the plan of releasing a new album in two thousand nineteen, early two thousand nineteen.
1: Yeah. So being a musician, so you're also um, also a music video director. Mm-hmm. How has I mean, did that? You were a musician before you were a music video director. How has that helped you? You know, your style. How has that helped you work with other bands? What talk a little bit about that?
2: Yeah, I needed a a gateway into the world of filmmaking. Uh, When I got out of high school, I didn't know what I wanted to do. I I was already in nothing still, but we weren't nothing to write home about. (laughs) Uh, And I was looking for. I guess my my school counselor turned me on to going to school at Webster University here mm-hmm. in St. Louis, and I was very artistic, and I knew that maybe I could probably get it on an art scholarship, but I was really interested in making film, and I, I I attempted to do that, and then they I didn't get into the art program, but they put me on some sort of like probationary thing. And I was like, fine, that at least gets me in. Now I can focus on film. So I started taking all of these film classes, even though I was like technically some sort of um, art major or Uh something. But I started taking all these film classes, all these video classes. And right around 2004-ish, I was taking a video production course. And they were still shooting on tape. And there was all this talk about – HD starting to happen, non-linear editing, because because the, I was taking a film course where we were actually editing on a board and a reel-to-reel, you know. Yeah,
1: which I think there's a lot to that. Yeah. I mean, that's how I started, and... I think as an editor, when I'm editing something, my edits are more precise. So I'm a bit slower, mm-hmm. but when I cut something together, it's usually, I don't typically have to change it. A couple little tweaks, some polishing. Yeah. But generally, I feel that my first edit is pretty solid. Whereas I think people starting with nonlinear, there's so many more options. You could piece mm-hmm. something together a lot quicker, and then, then there's however much time to massage it. So I think doing that reel to reel and tape to tape and cutting film is. I mean that kind of defined my style because I had to do so much of that.
2: Right, that's how I feel. I feel like if I hadn't done that or hadn't had to take that class, that um, I wouldn't appreciate some of the nonlinear side of it as much. Um, I have a splicer sitting on my desk, and you know I have clients come over; they have no idea what it is, and I have to show them. <laughs> I was like, "Well, you take, you take your film, you make a slice here, you set this aside, and then you, you know, when you go and you make your other cut, you slice it here, and then you set it down on this little." on this teeth here and then you put a little piece of tape and you stamp it down and that's how you make an edit and you know they're just used to going blade tool cut, move, copy, paste whatever Yeah, yeah. Um, and
1: that was like a fidget spinner you tell them you you send them when they're bothering you like hey why don't you go try this and just send them in the corner (laughs) cut some film together and like uh, keep their nervous energy away
2: so I did that so that turned me on to seeing non-linear editing I think really made me like go wow okay there's some I wanted to be a director. And at the time, everybody wanted to be a director. And yeah, so it was very... Same yeah, when I went through school. Yeah, it, it was said. very intimidating. Yeah. Um, and so especially... Because you, when you get around, especially in, in, in an art school like Webster University, you start getting around people who... Everybody's creative. You mm-hmm. can't take that away from anybody. But you start getting around people who are outgoingly creative and you start kind of doubting yourself. And I found myself in that position where I started... Looking down on like mm. my ideas,
1: and were you out? So you so we were outgoing. Were you more of an introvert at that? Yeah, point? Yeah, totally. Yeah, I think I was too at one time when I started in school, and I and I felt like oh my stuff's crap.
2: Yeah, I didn't have you know I was I was out of high school. I was overweight. I had no confidence. I was doing the band stuff, but I only really had confidence when I was on stage or coming off stage yeah. because you are riding that high. Sure, and so. You know, walking around campus, I just felt like I was younger than everybody else, or that I, you know, wasn't good looking, or and I would just listen to some of the very artistic, creative people around or in classes or whatever, and just felt like I'm not on their level. And that's not the case. Anybody that's listening right now, it's like whatever yours, your idea is, you can pursue that. Yeah, you know, even if it's not the greatest idea in the world, you should still. Try it, yeah, Because and see it's something what
1: you want to communicate. It's your vision. It's yeah. your unique look at the world. And there's there's so much value in that.
2: Yeah. And so I had a hard time dealing with that. Uh, and what I found in the the nonlinear editing was it felt like an extension of directing. So even though if if I wasn't necessarily coming up with the greatest ideas as a director, mm-hmm. then I still had some sort of control over what the final product was. And so as I dabbled with that, um, I knew that was something that I could fall back on. So if the directing didn't happen, then I could at least be an editor. So I ended up dropping out of school around 2006 because we were really, really succeeding with the band. Mm -hmm. So I focused on that a lot more, and then I ended up going back to school around the time when the band started to kind of fizzle out around 2009, 2010-ish. And I was finishing my degree at UMSL. And I had a, uh, I had a class with the director, Jack Snyder.
1: Oh, yeah. Yeah, I know Jack. Yeah. yeah.
2: And Jack was a huge influence on me.
1: Yeah, he's such a great guy. Yeah. His energy amazing.
2: Yeah, he really... He took me under his wing. He taught me a lot of stuff. Uh, You know, you know I... I I really kind of went all f- all out on all the projects I did for his class, and so he was always f- filled with advice. And so he gave me an opportunity to work on his next feature, which happened in 2011. And that's how I kind of really got was that myself. Ghost Image. Uh, yeah. That no, it was f- what became Fatal Call.
1: Okay, I'm not that familiar with that. Yeah. One.
2: So that was is what really what got me into the St. Louis filmmaker scene because I was just basically a college student just making things that sure. nobody was ever going to see, yeah. and um, to go back to your original question, with music I was able to kind of find this gateway because I knew a lot of bands in town,
0: mm-hmm.
2: and I had I bought a a film camera. Uh, I shouldn't call it a film camera, but it was, a, I had bought a, I bought a camera that mm-hmm. shot in 24 frames per second. So it just looked like film. Yeah. And cinema
1: style. Yeah. I had a cinema style camera that had, it was widescreen with letterbox. Yeah. And it allowed me to do. And I was stoked. I yeah. was like, no, yeah, was let's killer, go man. make movies. It was killer.
2: And, and so I was able to start making a couple videos, um, and get my name out there mm-hmm. and then you know I started getting contacted regularly by bands and and started doing a lot of videos here and then as I was kind of growing with the St. Louis film community and making more connections I started working with more people and then we started making more videos I was working heavily with Chris Benson, the cinematographer and Kyle Kropinski, the cinematographer
1: who well, speaking of the killers just, I saw he just yeah. uh, DP a killers. Yeah. It's, a music it's, video. It's a weird incestuous yeah, relationship between me yeah. and the killers right now.
2: Yeah. Uh, yeah. But so Kyle and I went off and started making our own music videos and we did a trio of videos for the band Fivefold here in St. Louis. And I think that is what really took off. So I found myself in this position where I wasn't looking for work anymore. Work was just coming my way. And, uh, between that and then working for Chris Benson at Lamplight films, um, I just stayed really busy. And so I found myself pushing 30 and thinking that like, you know, I should really give it a go in Los Angeles. And before I get to, you know, the point where I'm like, ah, it's not for me. I'm not going to do it. I'm just going to stay in St. Louis my entire life.
1: No, smart move. Definitely. So good timing.
2: Yeah, I did. And. And uh, the transition into that was definitely strange because I still had a lot of work in St. Louis, Mm -hmm. which was nice because I was living in L.A., making money in St. Louis, spending all that money in L.A. Mm -hmm. Um, But I took a couple free gigs that helped kind of introduce me to people out there. Same way I do here. And I always give that advice to young up and coming filmmakers is that don't be afraid to take the free gig. Um. Because there's this, like, weird stigma with young filmmakers where, where they start hearing about people who are making money and how much money you're making doing those things. Mm-hmm. And they think they automatically deserve that much money. And that's not the case.
1: Yeah, I may mean, I've got caught up in that trap. Or you're yeah. thinking, like, maybe not that yeah. I deserve it. But there's the possibility. So, mm-hmm. yeah, I mean, I've got debt. I've got, yeah. I've got all this college loans. All right, you know, I want to make this money. Right. Not saying that. And I did so many freebies. So not saying that. You know there was a sense of entitlement, but I think the fact that okay, well I just invested all this, I want to start making money, kind of gets, uh, you know, kind of gets in the way. Maybe it's a block, but right. then it's yeah, work with those people because those are the people that are going to be in ten years have an opportunity with the killers maybe or somebody Absolutely. else, and then you're you're in with them. You've you've invested. You have a little equity. That's how I look at relationships. So that equity that I build up.
2: Yeah, well at this point in 2015, I'd already been. I've been working in film for uh, four years at this point, and I had, you know, made a ton of mm-hmm. music videos. Yeah. I had a number one music video in Brazil. Oh, and fantastic! Like, yeah. And and so you had paid some dues. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I had worked on uh, two or three, edited two or three features yeah. already, and so I could have had that attitude as like, yeah. well, you should pay me my full rate to do this thing. Yeah. But I I ended up doing a favor for my roommate one weekend he just asked reach out to me and said hey can you um are you doing anything next weekend i need help i'm shooting this short film and i don't have anybody to help me can you just like come and like set up some lights for me and whatever and i was like yeah i'm not doing anything yeah, yeah. and so i went out and I and for two days we shot this short film and i ended up only getting a hundred dollars on it for two days with work and i was a swing grip yeah. camera dit yeah. and he feed you
1: as well Oh yeah, great. It's gotta feed people, great, great yeah, food. totally.
2: But I, but I made friends with the producer and the director, actress, and I gave them my card at the end of the yeah. shoot and said, "Hey, if you need anybody to edit this, let me know." And I didn't think anything of it again. I, I, and, and you weren't
1: the, stepping on his toes by any means because he didn't want to edit your friend.
2: Oh no, no 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 no! I didn't know I didn't know who their editor was going to be. Um, I just said, you know. And I said, hey, just in case you need to edit, you need some. Oh, this, sure, sure. You know? um, so I didn't think anything of it. And I went about doing a couple projects over that summer. And then the, the producer, she reached out to me and said, you know, hey, you know, we're, we're in the edit right now. And, you know, things are not really working out. So, like, would you mind coming and taking a look at this? And I was like, oh, yeah, absolutely. And I watched the film and I knew exactly what was wrong with it. And I asked her to give me two weeks to give her a new cut because they were trying to submit to Sundance. Mm-hmm. And I said, give me two weeks and let me just take a stab at it. And so I basically took an extended weekend and just cut the hell out of it and made something that I was really proud of and showed it, to, showed it to the both of them. And they loved it and they were stoked about it. I'm revealing names because I'm getting to the punchline of the whole story. So so anyway, so they ended up submitting to Sundance. And again, I forgot all about it. Mm-hmm. And then in November that year, I get this email saying we got in the Sundance. And so my first go around in Sundance 2016 was off of a job that I got paid $100 to work two days on.
1: Yeah, your friend's like, hey, man, what are you doing? Let's right. come hang out. And man, just hang out with me and you know, we'll get some food.
2: Right. And that... That film, which was Affections, was directed by Bridie Elliott, became a calling card for me. Mm -hmm. I got a job working for Warner Brothers on a show. I worked for The CW. I then did Bridie's first feature film called Clara's Ghost, which is coming out this fall on MGM Orion. And all of that. You can trace all of that back to doing one low-paying free gig.
1: Yeah, man. It was
2: a weekend. Right. Exactly. It was two days.
1: Yeah. And, and that's the thing, going to a different market, it's like, it, you know, the reset button has been hit. So you could be like the greatest guy in this market, and not just St. Louis, but it could be any market. You go to that new market, you're not known. So by jumping in there, then they're like, this Patrick guy is pretty cool. Yeah. And then things aren't working out, and there you go. And then it's it's cool that with your experience and that vision you had for it, that you were you were able to make something happen because who knows maybe they found another editor and right. and it's still not working. So Sundance that's huge, it's fantastic.
2: Yeah, uh, it's still every time I tell that story, it still kind of blows my mind that that's kind of those are the same. Because I was at Sundance this year uh, for Clara's Ghost and and also actually I, I I had two films at Sundance this year. It was Clara's Ghost and the short film Men Don't Whisper. And Men Don't Whisper had the honor of being the first film of the entire festival this year. That's, that's to amazing. To screen. That's amazing. And and that was also from the producer, her name's Sarah Winshaw, and she's been huge for me. I absolutely love working for her. And because of that, that all comes from that first movie. If I hadn't given Sarah my card mm-hmm. and she hadn't given me a call to take a look at that film, like none of that would have happened. So... You know, I wouldn't. I wouldn't have all the experience that I have under my belt now if I hadn't have done that one. I could have told my, I could tell my roommate, my roommate, screw off. Like I'm not going to work for free for a weekend. Yeah. You know, and exactly.
1: um, and was he? He was the DP on that, or was his, what yeah, was his role? Yeah, yeah, he was okay. the DP.
2: Yeah, and he and it was just a, it was a very uh, low budget um maybe even like just fifteen hundred dollar shoot that we did for two days and the majority of 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 it was in Bridie's apartment in Silver Lake and it was it was just a relaxed, fun shoot. And um you know, at that time I'd probably worked on two dozen short films just between St. Louis and Los Mm -hmm. Angeles and it was just another one. It was just another drop in the bucket and I had no idea that all of these things would basically That's cool
1: man when you're passionate about doing it and I think working with others it's fun yeah See what they bring to it I and love the collaborative like process out, man it's like it's hanging out but we're creating a art yeah it's work of course but it's if you're with the right people it's it's not hard work no I it, mean it's hard work but it doesn't feel like that it's like where did this day go we just worked a 14 hour day oh yeah and it doesn't feel like it where I've had days when I'm getting paid well doing certain work mm-hmm. and it's like 11 o'clock and i'm thinking like i've been there 20 hours so it's i was amazing. i was on
2: a i was on a feature a couple of years ago like a uh, for the better part of a month and i was driving in the set one day and just thinking like i can't believe i get paid to do this
1: and those are the great days yeah. when you're like they're paying me for this cuz i had so <laughs> much fun yeah yeah and i love those kind of days i and love those
2: days yeah it's and all of it it's it's easy to take it for granted uh because I, I find myself all the time just kind of wondering like, <clears throat> I feel like I'm I'm wondering like when that time is gonna be like I was like I watched the Oscars and I'm like mm-hmm. when is that job gonna fall into my lap when am I gonna be able to do that and I don't know if it's ever gonna come but at the same time it's it's hard not to take those things for granted because you I have to take a step back and think about like wow you did all the time mean, you've had four films in Sundance in no, three yes, years you. like how. Like, you you are on some sort of track. It's yeah. just not, like, it's not going to come right away. It's not going to be overnight. But I think a lot of that comes from my experience with being in the band because just nothing ever came yeah. of, we never got signed. We never, you know, got huge. We never went on some huge tour opening up for Kiss or whatever. You know, it's like, it. it was just, I think that disappointment has really kind of influenced how I feel sometimes when I'm working in film. Like, mm-hmm. I just kind of feel like, oh, it's not. It's not not happening. happening. This is not
1: what I had in my mind. Yeah. But then it's at that point, that's when you hit the reset button and you look at, wait, how much fun am I having? Mm -hmm. Who are these great people that I'm working with that are now my friends? Yeah. You know, look at this uh, experience of going to Sundance and being the first film and people seeing your work on the screen. And I think when we, when we focus on that journey part, which it took me a long time to figure it out. Then that's when it's cool, and then the awards and things like that don't matter as much. And then when they happen, they're all the sweeter. Yeah, I think when we focus on those things, we kind of it kind of throws things off and yeah. throws off that journey aspect. But it's yeah, I still think about that. I'm not as active, um, but I'm writing now, so I'm looking at it. Where I have a, a screenplay that I started after college, and it's going on twenty years, and so I'm talking to friends who write, and and it's that writing aspect doesn't feel as you don't get the the juice like you're getting on when you're on stage. I'm not a musician, but or when you're directing like a live concert video for me is that thrill and that adrenaline. And I don't get that in writing, but mm-hmm. now I'm starting to find that peace in writing and all that. So I'm trying to get this screenplay done before I hit the 20 year mark and, yeah. and hopefully can still have a chance to make it, you know. I'm not too too old and you know and I think I'm in a better place to create that Piece of work where it doesn't have to be for an Oscar or for this or that. Hopefully, now that journey and collaborating with cool people is going to be enough, and then I think that's when there's a chance for cool uh, these other cool things to happen.
2: The, the interesting thing about film is that unlike music, where there's almost kind of a time limit on like what, how how profitable you can be by your age, um, film doesn't really have that. You know, because it's. It, There's interesting, um, words not coming to me.
0: Um, There's interesting
2: perspectives um, by young filmmakers. I'm 34, but I work with a lot of really young, up and coming filmmakers in their early to mid 20s who have really great millennial perspectives Mm -hmm. um, that I have experienced but I don't necessarily know how to put those things in the words. But some of these brilliant directors that I work with and writer directors, especially like they blow me away by just how in tune they are with society, uh, especially in diverse cultures. Um, and that's also a huge blessing for working in, in Los Angeles, just the diversity of it mm-hmm. and, and, and how lucky I've been as an editor to get to collaborate with directors who don't necessarily see the world the same way that I do. And so I get to kind of view it through their eyes and apply some of my own experiences, even though they might not be the exact same thing. Yeah. Um, and so I think that there's there isn't necessarily, even as you get older, That you tend to have a different perspective. My perspective now is a lot different than when I was 21, especially reflecting on some of this band stuff. Mm -hmm. Like I can't believe I did or said that, and so uh, I think it's interesting to see. I I I'd love to. There's stories that I want to tell from my own life, but I'm just not much of a writer. Mm -hmm. Uh, I'm just more of an idea man, and so there's definitely like I would love to see. I'd love to make something now kind of re- reflecting on the last decade or so mm-hmm. of my life and then love to see like kind of where I am maybe 10, 15 years from now reflecting on that and and seeing how I've evolved just, um, you know, spiritually and mindfully and all yeah. that. Yeah, no, that's um, cool,
1: man. It's cool to have that those experiences that open us up in, in a spiritual way and then who we are and how we evolve and, mm-hmm. yeah, that's the... Uh, Cool thing about life.
2: I always think about um, Stan Lee didn't create Spider-Man until he was forty years old, and I think that's that's something that's really inspiring to me.
1: Yeah, that's variants You know, Diamond Dallas Page, a wrestler, didn't start till he was thirty-five, and yeah. that, then he starts his DDP yoga. Uh huh. And, uh, he's changing people's lives. And it's so, I mean, that's something to, a, a great story to look into and his documentaries on how he's helped these guys. And it's something he did probably close to 50. Mm-hmm. He started that. And, and Jack Schneider is another great example of a guy that kept writing and doing things. And he moved out to LA at a later age. Yeah. And, he's now, doing real well. and now he's doing really well when he was this, this, this art guy that was making these little films and this and that, but he kept with it. Yeah. So yeah, it's, it's all very inspiring yeah uh yeah i think there's always you know if if we keep on it you know there's always time and that's something like i don't know if you follow gary v at all he's just um he's like the new tony robbins i guess you could say and he's pretty positive guy and now he's started uh you know his his own like advertising agency and this and that and Mm -hmm. Um, but that's one thing he tells people like, hey, you may be 45 and this and that, but you know, w- w- you know, what do you have? Are you willing to work for it? Things like that. Now, sometimes I think his culture is a little bit, you know, a little to the extreme as far as I see it. Cause you know, at times you have to spend some time reflecting and not just working all the time. I get it. You have to hustle, but it seems like, you know, at some point you have to sit back and kind of smell the roses and look at life and you know just not just go 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 but but maybe that's me because now i'm a little more chill now and that's how i've kind of evolved to be so i don't know it's all interesting man it, it, it is all interesting
2: yeah it's easy to get caught up in the grind and then next thing you know like i mean just life out in la where the the uh, weather doesn't change there's there's one season yeah and you're it's so easy to lose track of what day it is what month it is Um uh, and you just get caught up in working in other people's stuff, especially, uh, you know, as an editor. If you're working on something for three or four months, you're you're helping the vision of the director, but at the end of the day, it's not yours. And so that's something that is sort of difficult to deal mm-hmm. with yeah. at times because you're you you have a project that you is like a baby for you, yeah. and you nurture that, but you didn't give birth to it, and that's that's.
1: You're the nanny. Patrick is the nanny <laughs> yeah. of this film, <laughs> and
2: so and so when you get when you spend so much time yeah. in that, and then all of a sudden you start realizing that like there are stories that you want to tell, there mm-hmm. are things you want to do, there's music you want to play, there's art that you want to make. You have to somehow find the time to do that, mm-hmm. uh, and and that's what I've been trying to get better. I mean, this, this summer alone has just been like, you know, I'm I'm editing this reality show that I directed and produced three years ago that that didn't get picked up. So it's like, I'm editing Uh, that I'm editing short films for submission to Sundance this year. I'm rehearsing two days a week for six weeks to play this reunion show with my band. Um, You know, I'm helping my girlfriend design and create her clothing line. Like I'm just every day. I'm just like freaking lazy. I'm just doing something, something, something. That's cool, man. But it all, you know, it's all that, going back to it's like that that grind of like you're still waiting for like yeah. when's the thing gonna hit yeah. like when are you gonna have that one thing that yeah, like, like man, finally takes a off bit
1: of I don't want to have to worry about how I'm going to pay my rent Oh and things like that <laughs> and that's the other side even when you get a job that you're you do a creative job and you're getting paid for it which is awesome at some point, that becomes a job, mm-hmm. and then that's why I think when you had mentioned to me, like, yeah, you know, I'm doing the band thing because I need that creative juice. I need to find that thing that's going to recharge my batteries. It's so true when that is your vision, when it's something that is yours, and you have some ownership. Yeah, it's amazing how the energy changes because at some point, even though you know you're the type of guy that that goes all in and puts, you know, puts everything you have into somebody else's project that you're working on, and I'm the same kind of guy. But at some point, it's just like, man, where am I going to find this energy to do that? And it is that job. Yeah. And then it's, you know, you have to branch off or do whatever to charge those batteries. So I I totally get that.
2: And I've been keeping it, you know, with doing the music videos because I'm still doing, you know, maybe a handful to a half dozen music videos each year. Oh, that's awesome. And I haven't
1: done one in a while. It's been too long.
2: Well, I, you know... This year especially has been the slowest and, um, I've done, technically I did one yesterday, so that would be three for the year, but I've also been in the running for two or three that didn't happen. And I, and I always kind of find that like, those are the ones where I have my best ideas are the mm-hmm. ones that don't happen. Yeah. And I'm like, oh, I really wanted to do that one. Or that one really had a huge budget. And like, yeah. Um, yeah. So I I keep those directing juices going by doing that. And so cool. I might be working if I'm working on a TV show or I'm working on a feature or something. But, you know, I'm, and I'm focused on this scene today in the back of my mind. I'm thinking, what am I going to do for this scene in this music video? Or how do I do this? Or even worse, it's like I only have this much money. And in L.A., money doesn't go anywhere. Mm-hmm. So $4,000 in L.A. is like having $1,000 in St. Louis. And they're like how do I even make this work on four thousand dollars and that's insane to me from where where I came from and uh that is has started to kind of eat away at me too just on the creative side because you start to get wore down by the idea of like I don't know how to make this work for Mm -hmm. not having any money even though you have money yeah and and it feels like you can't like I see a lot of a lot of uh, you know really amazing, great music videos that are coming out, but I see where the money's coming from, and and when you have,
1: you see where it's coming from, where it's going to, like what the, where it's what going to, yeah, yeah, where yeah, yeah. It, yeah, yeah, where and, they're putting their resources, mm-hmm.
2: and so when you have a, a young independent artist or whoever, or if they're on an indie label that doesn't have a lot of money, mm-hmm. and they go, I want it to look like this, well, whatever that was, you're talking about money that's five times more than what yeah, you have
1: like, yeah that's a forty thousand yeah. dollar music video but yeah. there
2: seems to be this idea that you can still pull these things off and i mean granted i've gotten good at some of that yeah. stuff and
1: that's sometimes that's a detriment when it's you a, get good at pulling it it's off a blessing nothing, and a curse yeah that, yeah then everybody expects it and then they're like well you pulled it off for that for yeah. nothing and you're like yeah no i'm now I'm just like, war to the bone. It's like, man, I don't have the energy to, to right. do this again. Because it takes a lot of, you know, you have to really immerse yourself into it. And I'd say now, I'll say it a lot, you know, what kind of skin in the game. And I've worked for artists in St. Louis who were amazing to work with. And they just, you know, it was like they, uh, this one band just did water. Mm-hmm. It was, you know, basic, no real concept. yeah, hey, We want to record a couple of songs in a video in somebody's basement. And it was like, well, let's make a little story. Very basic, but but kind of cool. And so we had a theme. But but they bring in Tony from Mississippi Nights. Mm-hmm. He brings in a lighting rig. They're stacking amps up. It When people see it, um, it's just like, whoa, that was some guy's basement. But, yeah, so it really worked. And they were as invested in it as I was. So there's very little money, but the fact that they put you know all their energy into getting everything right and they're painting and doing everything that they did and they they're bringing all their fans in it wasn't you know it took a lot of pressure off me so it was a true collaboration and it was one of the greatest experiences i've ever had versus the bands are like oh we want this and we've seen this and they're not really willing to it's like, we only have $4,000 yeah. in LA, but let's well, start, right. you only have $4,000, but what else do you have that can make this, that can make up for that? And how can we work together where it's not like, well, you're the, you're the producer, you produce. It's like, no, with the money you have, we all have to <laughs> produce. We yeah. all have to come together and make something great. I use
2: it when, when I was working locally here in St. Louis, I would always try to explain to bands because they, they're just not. I mean, when Nothing Still made a music video, I think we spent $1,000 on it. So to yeah. me, I was like, okay, that's like the price. And so when I started making videos, I didn't want to... I wanted to make it affordable for bands. And But I just started learning quickly that it's yeah. like, well, this cost this, cost this, cost this, this. And a lot of bands don't understand that. So a lot of bands think that like, I'll give you a couple hundred bucks and my cousin Gary will come out and film it for you. whatever. Yeah. <laughs> it's like no 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 like we need lights we need people that actually know what they're doing yeah. and you know you have to feed people and all of those and things the bare just
1: bare minimum anybody out there feed people feed well, people yeah you got i mean that's just like the yeah if you're not feeding people then i think you're you don't get it yeah and it's just like that's the basic thing you may not have money but yeah you gotta feed your people and they it goes so far
2: Side note: Speaking of somebody that I I miss a lot, Tony from Mississippi Nights.
1: <laughs> yeah, such it's, a good dude. It, yeah,
2: um, yeah. I, um, where do I go from there? <laughs> the thing, I think
1: the, we kind of came around to the start. Well, you as a musician and and now as a filmmaker, do you ever pull that card where somebody's you're working with somebody and they're, they have these. I wouldn't say delusions of grandeur. You have to yeah. have a big imagination, but at some point you have to realize the practicality. Mm-hmm. Like, okay, we can do a lot, but we can't necessarily do this, but let's shoot for that because what we get yeah. is going to be grand. Do you ever throw that out there? Hey guys, I'm I'm a musician too. I get this. And, yeah. and But here's what, uh, do you ever pull that card?
2: Especially out in Los Angeles because I don't have that network that yeah. I have here um because you know everybody in st louis seems to know each other so somebody knows somebody and like knows that Mm -hmm. i was in a band that did this thing or whatever and so out there i don't have that so i might be working with a band and i have to kind of like throw that weight out there and just say like hey you guys think you're cool but like have you ever had this happen to you and then i have to let them know that it's like i'm chill like you know like i i know i know what it's like to be you guys um but, yeah, you get those, like you said, delusions of grandeur where it's like you have to kind of like reel it in a yeah. little bit. Um, because I like, I like working with an artist that are ha- that self-aware. Yeah. They know what their brand is. And that really helps me as a director. Uh, what's the worst is when you get the people that are just like, just make me look cool. Every band just wants to look cool at the end of the day, but it really helps when you're like, you know what you're trying to be, Mm -hmm. or you know what the message of this song is or whatever. And it's really difficult when you get those or how I I describe it. You know, I I get when sometimes when bands hit me up about doing a video, I said, just send me your song because I could just say yes to everything. Right. Mm -hmm. I could be like, yeah, I'll make you a video. I'll make you a video. Mm -hmm. But I'm like, send me your song first, because if it's not firing off synapses in my brain. exactly, Like, I can't help you. I yeah. can't force myself to do something that I'm not inspired by. And I've tried it. I've really, honest to God, I've tried it. I've tried it on a few rap videos. Like, I can't do a rap video. I'm, and I'm the
1: same way, man. Unless, I mean, but there's. Some rap, like a guy like MC Yogi, I'd uh-huh. love to put a video together because it's like he's on such a high level of awareness. It's not just about the Benjamins yeah. and the diamonds and the. But you it's know. it's
2: not, it, and it's nothing like I I don't I don't not love a certain genre of music yeah. because I can't do country videos either. Sure, but there's some country that I really love. Yeah, and you're
1: just connecting to the yeah. artist and the, the song. It's it's all like an individual thing. That's like if somebody says, "Can you? I want a three to five minute video." You're like, well, what do you want to communicate? What is that? I mean, mm-hmm. I can put some together, but it, are we, are we vibing? Yeah. You know? So yeah. And the music, a lot of times to me, it tells the story and it opens something up in my brain and it, it I feel something and it's like, wow, this just wrote itself. This is, you know, this just happened. Yeah.
2: And, and I really, I really love doing, I'm not just, ba- cause you, I, When I do band videos, obviously that's the thing I relate to the most because Mm -hmm. it's from my own life. But another thing is I really love the high concept fashion, uh, you know, commercial style pop videos, especially, you know, whether it's be like solo artists or female artists or whatever. Like I I find there's a lot of room to go off of with videos like that. And you can play a, a lot with themes and ideas and messages of songs mm-hmm. and stuff like that. And it's and,
1: great. such a, you know, being a nonlinear format. Mm-hmm. I mean, you can just throw in just this different visual metaphors yeah, that tell the story. So you don't have to have, um, just like a movie, you have to have different points of dialogue and then, unless you're Tarantino, but, uh, yeah, it's just such a cool format. I mean, I can't even, I don't have the, the vocabulary to tie. It's just, uh, amazing to feel it and just visual imagery and to tell a story that way and let the audience you know they have their own interpretation as well
2: yeah I think it's really cool I think short form a lot uh, because've I've only ever in my career I've only ever had a couple ideas for like feature length stuff mm-hmm. um, and every once in a while I like get a story and it, it, it also goes back to that like well like how much money can you raise to make this so you have to sort of think smaller. And what's good about music videos is that it allows me to explore that road uh, because it is short form. And so there have been a few times where maybe there's a story I want to tell and I'm looking for that right song that mm-hmm. it applies to. I have one right now that I've pitched to like two different artists, and I thought, this song's going to work for this idea. I've got to do this. And neither of them have gotten through yet. But that doesn't mean I'm not going to stop trying. Yeah, and, if, yeah. and if it doesn't work, I'll probably just try to make it into a short film. Cool. But I think that like for the medium, it would work pretty nice. good with music. Awesome. But I also had a couple years ago, I had this incredible opportunity to make a short film for uh, Grammy-nominated artist James Bay. And... I was tasked with basically creating a short film that was based off of his album, his debut album that was nominated for a Grammy. And I had had an idea about it was for a music video. I had a, a treatment for a video that was about a guy who kept all the letters he wanted to write the love of his life in a jar and he was basically like a vagabond traveling mm-hmm. the country, and he kept all the letters in a jar. And so I had this idea. And so I just took a chance, and I pitched it to Republic Records, and they loved it. And they gave me the full budget to go out and shoot it, and we did. And uh, the film's called Lionheart, and uh, it's not available online as of yet. It's still something I'm working on. Um, but, uh, yeah, that was sort of that unique opportunity where I had an idea that came from a music video, that just never got made, gotcha, and it was yeah. like, how do I turn this into something short form and add dialogue?
1: Uh-huh. And that's cool. And, but it was
2: it was really cool because you you had that the the stylistic of of a style of a music <laughs> video that was like using that in narrative form, and I think that kind of tripped up a few film festivals that we submitted <laughs> to because they were like, is this because like, like all the music video categories are like ten minutes or less? Yeah. And it's a fifteen minute film, which is yeah. what Republic Records wanted. So uh-huh. it's like. So it's like too long to be in the music video category and it's a little too music video to be in a narrative category yeah. so like they didn't know how to program it sure so yeah so that's that's something that I'm extremely proud of and I'm bummed out that not not a lot of people have seen it so I'm trying to find trying to find a way I'm gonna do a director's cut of it eventually hopefully this year and find a release for it online somewhere where people can actually see it and cool. Because I just say it's such a beautiful little piece that, um, you know, I'd hate for it to just go to waste. But that's a lot like, you know, like I was saying about the music stuff. It's like you spend $10,000 making an album and, you know, who knows who hears it. Now you're giving it away for free. Yeah, exactly. It's kind of life repeating itself. Yeah, yeah. I know, man. (laughs) I'm trying not to be too negative. Yeah, no, it can be tough, man. When you,
1: when you, you basically, as an artist, you're putting it all out there, you know, heart and soul, and it's, you know, there's, certain vulnerability in that and uh yeah it can be it, that form of expression is amazing but yeah after a while you kind of run out of energy and it's like where's that energy coming from you you have to you know you can only put so much out before it comes back mm-hmm. so it's kind of it's tough it's tough because you know we're doing it to communicate but also i mean personally i like that attention as well and that gets me excited yeah and i want to do more things and you know, I want to hear what people think about this particular piece of work, or I want to hear people laugh in a screening or get some kind of reaction. I yeah. mean, I mean that's, that's a bit of payoff for all the times you spend in this dark room staring at a computer screen just to hear a few, you know, a few laughs or like somebody, you know, wow, what did I just see? Or it's some kind of emotion. Yeah, I don't ever,
2: exactly like you're saying, like I don't think that anything I've ever really made is – like self-gratifying like in like for me like i i I feel like it's always for someone else like i feel like i make films because i want to see like you're saying like how an audience reacts to this one thing you know i love i love uh red herrings in movies almost every one of every every short film i've done has some sort of red herring that's kind of leading an audience in a direction they don't see it
1: for me that's to me, that's a sign of a great short. That's right? What I yeah. Sure.
2: And because I, I, and I love being in the audience and seeing when they go oh or uh, oh, you know, yeah. you, you hear those reactions or people shifting in their seats. Like, yeah. I get off on that. Yeah, and, totally. And I'm the same way with music. Cause I just want to hear how people are going to react to this song, and when they don't, then I'm like, oh, well, what did I do wrong yeah. there? But I don't necessarily know that it's ever for me. Like, I don't think like. You know, I don't sit around listening to my own music or watching my own movies. I just I want to see how other people yeah, react totally, to it.
1: totally, totally. So, so what? Uh, you know, a couple follow up. What are some of the things you're watching nowadays that that give the audience a sense of your sensibilities or or what you you know what are you watching nowadays? I mean, you get much. I mean, you're creating so much, you get yeah. time to consume anything.
2: You know, I'll say the one thing that I don't do a lot anymore is read. I'm um, really bummed out about that. I just don't have the time for I had it. To,
1: you know, I had to make the time recently, yeah. and it just sparked my creativity and everything yeah. else. So it it was it was important for me to disconnect and read for a couple days.
2: I was I was really big on reading um, in the late two thousands, and and then as I just started to get busier and busier in film, like I just don't have the time for it. And I just wish I did. I wish I could you know, educate myself in a lot more way. Or like I was saying, just like in various cultures and, and understanding other people's points of views mm-hmm. and stuff. And, and those are things that really interest me. Um, <laughs> interestingly enough, like I, the things that I do listen to, I, I listen to a ton of music. Obviously, I try to stay up to date on that. Mm-hmm. And I try to consume as many music videos as possible. Um, I, I, I found out sometime last year, around the time the Phantom Thread came out, that Daniel Day Lewis watches a lot of reality television to kind of disconnect from the things that he works on. (laughs) Interesting. And so I've been doing a lot of that. Okay. Um, I've I've been consumed with the Real Housewives (laughs) as of late, and it sounds it sounds totally not uh, not cool of a of a. uh, uh, douchey filmmaker, but like I, yeah, I kind of just want to turn things off. Yeah, i also sort of the same thing about like, like the writers for Game Game of Thrones love like Always Sunny in Philadelphia. Like yeah. it's like they you find these writers that watch the opposite of what it is they work yeah. on because they want to disconnect from all of that. So true. Um, but you know, of things I'm you know I can't not watch Sharp Objects. I I didn't see the finale because I'm out of town right now, but you know it's like that has already well, you
1: know what happened what when... <laughs> I totally don't like spoilers but
2: but they took i think uh uh is jean-marc vallet like that style that he's doing between that and big little lies like i th- watching big little lies last year really influenced mm-hmm. me on how how to do different types of editing cuz i watch it like i watch films i can see the edits when i watch a show yeah, or in the film yeah. and and so I immediately know when somebody's doing something unique. And so with Big Little Lies, I was like, yes, that's what th- what they're doing right there is something that applies to a short that I've been working on for the last few years. And cool. like when I would show it to people, they'd be like, yeah, I don't know how that's gonna work. And but now you know, Big Little Lies comes out. I'm like, well, you saw Big Little Lies. And like, yeah. I'm like, yeah. Like, well. You, the way they told that story, the way they cut back to this interrogation scene over and over and over again, but kept the story very linear, it's like that's what I that's what mm-hmm. I'm I'm doing in this script that I've been trying to pitch on for three years. Yeah, and it's like now somebody did it. Westworld was like that too.
0: Oh, great,
1: Westworld was fantastic.
2: Yeah. But but yeah, so I think that like the editing style of both that and Sharp Objects were very influential. They've already been very influential because. Um, I'm working on a short right now. And like the director and I were just kind of waxing poetically about sharp objects. And we're like, Mm -hmm. what's, why don't we try doing some of this? Like some of the stuff that they're, some of the edits and the fancy stuff that they're doing in there. So yeah, it's just that. And, and I'm, of course I'm like a huge pop culture guy. So like, you know, I always, I, I get in these interviews or discussions with people and they're like, well, so what's your favorite movie? And they're expecting me to say something like eight and a half or, you know, uh, La Dolce Vita or something mm-hmm. like that. I'm like yeah. Ghostbusters.
1: Oh heck yeah! <laughs> like yeah, like yeah. I'm sorry, like Ghostbusters
2: is the my favorite movie kid. of all time. You yeah, the like, new
1: Karate Cobra Kai was amazing. I heard that. Oh, like, I didn't get God, to see God, it. Check it out when you get a chance. It was for you know somebody oh. that grew up in that, you know, with watching Ghostbusters. Of course, mm-hmm. I saw those, and my grandmother took my cousin and I. That 1984, we saw Karate Kid. We saw Ghostbusters. We saw yeah all those movies. It was a magical time.
2: The um. <laughs> I'm always, I gotta think about this for a second. But, but yeah, I I have very little, like, like the most, um, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Um, damn, sometimes words don't come to me. Yeah, yeah I'm, I'm, the <laughs> way, I'm the same way, uh, I'm the same way. Yeah, like, I, uh, like, of my top five films ever, I mean, like, yeah, throw this
1: out. I'm not good with lists. But, yeah, I'm, let me hear. Uh, I'm putting you on the spot now. I
2: know. I always, like, I can always pull it out of my pocket whenever I want. And I'm horrible
1: uh, at this, but I would say Empire Strikes Back. Right. um, Big Lebowski. Shawshank Redemption, which I haven't seen in years. Oh, Uh, now I'm getting myself to, uh, what would be another top? Man, I like so many different films, so it's hard to. Goodfellas, definitely. Sure, yeah. And uh, let me see if I was going to narrow it out to the fifth. Man, it's so hard, dude. There's so many great films. I mean, I love After Hours, Martin Scorsese says, Oh, my God, yes. Every time I talk about After Hours, and, nobody knows what I'm talking oh, about. it's so great. I mean, that was like, he's on the verge of basically just wanting to die. He's been coked up. He's like, uh, yeah. New York, New York didn't do anything. And, he, you know, he was just completely depleted. And just, he, you know, this is this musical masterpiece about the city he grew up in, the city he loves. And it didn't do anything. It was like critically, just not a critics darling and he was just Mm -hmm. like what i'm a failure as a filmmaker and he's you know in the hospital for all these different things and he comes up with after hours and and nobody really knows about that movie but it was just so great yeah and then after that i think was after after hours i think was like last temptation of christ or something like that so it's i
2: pull after hours references out of my ass all the time and like i find these directors that i work with like really don't they don't apply it yeah you know, or like they don't know. I
1: gotta watch that again. It's been a while. Yeah,
2: I'm like, oh, this is a very after hours moment. You've uh-huh, Oh, yeah. You're like, oh, what's was that? But yeah, no. For me, I mean, it's it's so my top five is so stupid. It's like Ghostbusters is number one. Cool. Um, you know, something like The Shining is absolutely up there. Um, Purple Rain.
1: Oh yeah.
2: Uh and then as for four and five, five's probably not going to come to me, but like the other movie that I know that I can recite like the back of my hand and probably shouldn't be on anybody's top five list is Wayne's world. <laughs> oh
1: heck. Yeah. A lot of <laughs> those fun. are like guilty yeah. pleasure
2: movies that are just like, I can't like, yeah. if you were going to bury me with five movies, you would do it yeah. with these five. But um, yeah, I mean, and then there are other things too. Lawrence of Arabia is just a huge one, but it's, it's, you know, it's hard when you're trying to like work. Like, am I going to get these like big prestigious movies like on my list so I sound smart? Exactly. <laughs> or am I good? Or am I just going to be completely honest with you? Because like, there's, I, I think about like what are my favorite movies or like the movies that I would w- sit down and watch time.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Or you, you know? can watch over and over and still get like, yeah. The, I think Altman's the player. It's yeah. It's one that I haven't seen in a lot of years that I'll have to revisit. That just, wow. It's just amazing.
2: Um, yeah, I had, you know, I and then there are other other ones for me that are like uh the Royal Tenenbaums is, is a great mm-hmm. big influence for me when I was in college. Sure. Like that's that filmmaking cell that he was, Wes Anderson was kind of building upon before he got to the Life Aquatic. And then I love Life Aquatic, too, but then he goes off and does even more weirder shit now. Yeah. Um And then, you know, you mentioned Empire Strikes Back. I mean, that's like undeniable. I almost don't even mention it because it should be a given. Uh, or the Godfather, the God, oh, yeah, I mean, yeah. I could, w- I could watch the Godfather anytime. Uh-huh. So it's, it's tough, but yeah, my top five is very non-prestigious. Yeah, that's all right, man. That's what you like. <laughs> very and, guilty yeah, pleasure. It yeah.
1: It's fun. Yeah. It's fun stuff. Well, cool. And, and then where can, um, as far as your films, YouTube or, you know, where, where can people see yeah, your you work can, and explore that?
2: Uh, so I have a branded website. Uh, so it's patricklawrence.com but you have to take all the vowels out so it's p-t-r-c-k-l-w-r-n-c-e dot com because uh, the the without the e it looks really funny uh, so and
1: I'll, and I'll put a link so <laughs> yeah. you know it's easy now in this day and age like go to my show page and yeah you know when you listen to the podcast and then click on there and
2: but if you go sh- if you go there you can see all the music cool. videos i've done and uh there's there's some trailers and some stuff for the short films that i've done too um other than that like i've got um, on the editing side of things, this fall, I've got the feature film Clara's Ghost is coming out. It's directed by Bridie Elliott. It's the uh, daughter of actor Chris Elliott.
1: And you had, I saw you post on Facebook, did you have a, a Chris Elliott story when you were editing? Oh, that, yeah. Is that, is that, can you talk about that? Okay, yeah, absolutely. So it was on Facebook?
2: So I, so I, <laughs> I, I had worked with Bridie on her short film Affections, like I mentioned earlier. And I, uh. Didn't know immediately that she was Chris Elliott's daughter. And like a lot of people from the eighties and nineties who grew up during that time, I was, I was well aware who Chris Elliott was. And so, uh, I, we had the opportunity when we were making Clara's ghost, it was filmed in her house Mm -hmm. in Connecticut. And so, so us L.A. folk had to travel to Connecticut to shoot the film, and we basically lived in the house for three weeks. <laughs> and uh, without giving too much away about the story itself, it's loosely based off of the fact that the house itself is haunted. Yeah. Um, and it and it's uh, was built by an old sea captain who had built the house for his daughter, and she had gone crazy and was committed and so he ended up killing himself. And now there's some sort of presence in the house. But it's um, like a nonviolent presence, mm-hmm. you know. Um, so the um, while we were making the film, I had my own room in the house. And <laughs> I constantly felt like somebody was behind me. <laughs> And I would turn around and look and there was nobody there. But it's like, you know, some people say they don't believe in ghosts, but I, th- I feel like I have enough actual ghost stories <laughs> to like believe that there is something going on. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And this was one of them because there was like, you just get that sense that there is somebody standing behind mm-hmm. you at all times. And yeah, we'd you know, snap around. And nobody would be there. But then sometimes I'd feel like somebody was standing behind me, and there was Chris Elliott, <laughs> and he'd come up and start rubbing my shoulders while I was editing the film, <laughs> and and kind of watching his takes and saying, you know, oh, is it good? Like, what do you think? Like, so that was. And 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 I'm trying to be cool about it. Yeah. But I mean, I grew up watching him on on Get a Life, Get a Life. Yeah, that was great. Groundhog Day. Yeah. Cabin Boy. you know all these things and so i'm I'm, (laughs) the guy sitting there like standing over my shoulders watching me work and it's and and even still in the times i've seen him i just i just saw him uh when we were in brooklyn uh two months ago it's the same thing i'm like trying to be cool but i'm like i can't man (laughs) that's
1: cool well patrick thank you so much for taking a little time and hanging out this was uh it was cool. This was a lot of fun. I really oh, yeah. enjoyed this.
2: I'm, I'm, I'm hoping it was an interesting conversation. <laughs> oh, heck yeah,
1: buddy. Thank you. Thank you.